You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Our God is too small. And by that I mean you and I struggle to keep the greatness of God in view. Our conception of God is too small. Our thoughts of God do not measure up with who God truly and really is. Oftentimes, when it comes to how we conceive of God, our God is too small. As a result of this, the things of this world seem so big and immediate. And our worship seems so feeble. When your God is small, you come to believe that instead of you being placed on this earth to serve Him, God is there to serve you. When your God is too small... You come to believe that God's number one priority is to make much of you. But the Bible says we've been created to make much of Him. And so what I want to do this morning is just spend a few moments in Psalm 93. It was read earlier in this service. And I want to help you and to help me to think on the majesty of God. I pray that God will stretch the boundaries of our minds and hearts, that God might become bigger in our conception of Him. So turn with me to Psalm 93. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Psalm 93. And when you found your place there, I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. Psalm 93. I trust everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, Next week we will begin a Christmas series of sermons titled uh, uh, Christmas uh, Blessings. Uh, and so I'm excited about that and uh, can't wait to look at some of the very familiar uh, passages of Scripture uh, in God's Word. Psalm 93, the Bible says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is put on strength as His belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. 
Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Every day is a gift from you, and your word tells us to rejoice and be glad in it. And we thank you, Lord, that every day that you give us life and breath, we meet your mercies new and fresh. And God, I pray that as we gather around your word today, as we fellowship as a faith family around the riches of Scripture, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, take your word and apply it to our hearts that we might see you more clearly and love you more dearly. We'll thank you, Lord, and praise you for that grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Psalm 93, along with Psalms... 95 through 100 are sometimes called the royal psalms because of their emphasis on God's reign. If you read these psalms, you'll see the repetition of the fact that God is ruling and reigning. God is enthroned over the universe. And Psalm 93 begins by reminding us the Lord reigns. And then the psalmist makes an interesting statement, he says, he, God, is robed or clothed in majesty. Now the word majesty, or the root of this word translated majesty, in the Hebrew literally means to rise or to be lifted up. It's used in other Bible verses to describe a column of smoke that has ascended up into the sky. It's used to speak of a mighty wave that has risen above other waters. And when this word is used to refer to God, it communicates the fact that God is high above everything and everyone else. Majesty, that's the English word we give to that idea. God is high above everything and everyone else. So this word majesty in Psalm 93 speaks of dignity. It speaks of authority. It speaks of splendor. It speaks of magnificence. It speaks of grandeur. The Lord, the Bible says, is robed in majesty. Now, that is an awesome thought. It's a thought we don't think enough. And because we don't ponder the majesty of God, our concept of God makes Him small. Instead of the big, sovereign, majestic God of the universe. James Montgomery Boyce says it like this, and this quote is in your notes. 
Majesty is the dominant element in the visions of God and His glory seen in both the Old and New Testaments. It inspires awe in mere human beings and often leaves them speechless or nearly dead. Now, as I was studying this this past week, and I read that phrase that these, these unveilings of God's majesty to human beings often leave them speechless or as dead people, the Holy Spirit asked me this question. And it's a question that I want to posed to you as well. Here's the question. When was the last time the majesty of God left you speechless? When was the last time the majesty of God Left you speechless. To be real honest and transparent with you this morning, I had to pause and repent and confess that so many times I'm so busy and driven by life and even ministry. That I don't slow down enough and just stand in awe of God. When was the last time the majesty of God left you speechless? J.I. Packer, in his classic book, Knowing God, writes this about God's majesty. The Christian's instincts of trust and worship are stimulated very powerfully by knowledge of the greatness of God. But this is knowledge which Christians today largely lack. And that is one reason why our faith is so feeble and our worship so flabby. I laughed out loud at that, that statement. Our faith feeble, our worship flabby. <laughs> flabby means to be out of shape, right? Because we don't Consider the greatness of God. He goes on to say in a very convicting way, we are modern people. And modern people, though they cherish great thoughts of themselves, have as a rule small thoughts of God. When the person in the church, let alone the person in the street, uses the word God, the thought is rarely of divine majesty. When you use the title God, Lord, Father, Jesus, is the thought of divine majesty? Or are you just saying words? And so we don't want our faith to be feeble. We don't want our worship to be flabby. Amen? Thank you for the three of you that agree with that. And so we're going we're gonna to just take a few moments, dig into this psalm, and think about the majesty of God. Just three headings here I want to share with you. Number one, the Lord is majestic in power. 
The Lord is majestic in power. He says there in verse 1, the Lord reigns. He is robed. He is clothed in majesty. That is a, a, an allegorical way to speak of God possessing the attribute of majesty or the characteristic of majesty. And he goes on to describe what that looks like, that God is majestic. It says, the Lord is robed in the next phrase. He has put on strength as his belt. So God wears strength. And the Bible says in Psalm 67 that the Lord has all power. Power, it says, belongs to the Lord. This means that God is not clamoring for power or gaining power or growing in power. Our God has all power at his disposal. It is inherently his. He is uh, omnipotent. He has all power. And that's a huge concept and it's, and it's hard to wrap your mind around. So the psalmist here gives us uh, an area in which we see God's power on display. Look at the next phrase. It says, yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. In other words, the psalmist is saying, if you want to know what power looks like, if you want to know what strength looks like, just look around. Look at the created order. And as we look at the created order, our minds hearken back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that says that God made the heavens and the earth. And even more striking, the Bible says that God spoke and the universe leapt into existence. That's power, right? You've heard me say this before, but if you don't let it's power, go to your bathtub tonight and say, Water! And see if it appears. You're probably going to have to turn on the faucet, Right? We don't have creative power by our word, but our God, who, who puts on strength as a belt, speaks. And the universe leapt into existence. He says there, the, the world is established. Just look around, look around. Look at the oceans, look at the mountains, look at the stars in the sky. The world is established. That is God's power on display. But look at the next phrase. He says, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Not only has God made it all, he holds it all together. This speaks of the sustaining power of God where he oversees the universe. Again, by the power of his word. Over in Hebrews chapter 1, we're reminded that, that Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, upholds all things by the word of his power. The Lord made it all and the Lord holds it all together. He created the universe. He upholds the universe. And that's what strength 
looks like. That's what power looks like. That's what majesty is all about. A God with that kind of power. If you want a a five-minute moment in your day to reflect upon the power of God, I want to suggest you read Job 26. In Job 26... Job, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of some unwise, bad counsel from his friends, he calls them miserable comforters. Job reflects upon the power of God seen in the created order. And he, he, in a very poetic way, speaks of God's power on display in the universe. And then in the last verse of that chapter, verse 14, Job says, But... These are but the outskirts of his ways. I'm trying to describe the power of God, but I'm just touching the fringes of who God is. He's so much bigger than we can even comprehend. But God is majestic in power. I hope you will reflect upon and think about his power that we see all around us. Secondly, God is majestic in sovereignty. He is majestic in sovereignty. Look what the Bible says in verse 2. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting The idea of God on the throne here, the Lord on the throne, speaks of His rule and reign over everything. It speaks of His sovereignty. And notice, first of all, that God is eternally sovereign. Because notice what it says there in verse 2. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. That means, God, there wasn't a time when you began to rule. There wasn't a time when you took your place rightfully on the throne of the universe. You have always been on the throne. You have always ruled. You've always been sovereign. You've always been in control from eternity past. Now, if you begin to really dig into that, and think about that and ponder that, your mind will begin to hurt. Because your brain, like my brain, is finite. Can I get a witness? And when the finite begins to try to figure out infinity, when when the creature begins to try to figure out the creator, when we who are limited by time and space try to conceive of a God who has no beginning, it will make your brain hurt. But the Bible says clearly that he reigns from everlasting from eternity past. He is eternally sovereign. And and, and here's another statement that really brings his sovereignty home into your life, into my life, our day-to-day existence. And this is good news. You ready? Thank you for the one that's ready. God is sovereign over chaos. Man, I want you to get that. God is sovereign over chaos. Look what it says there in verse 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. 
In other words, the chaos of this world, which by the way, the, the, the sea pictures throughout the Bible, the chaos, the tumult of this world, he's saying it's saying something to us. The chaos lifts up his voice. And it it makes us feel like things are spinning out of control. But look at the next verse, verse verse 4. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. The psalmist here is saying, yes, from our limited human perspective, things are roaring and raging all around us. Things are, 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 are scary and cause fear and anxiety and it looks like chaos everywhere. The sea of this world is raging, but the Bible says God is mightier than the sea. He is mightier than the waves. The Lord on high is mighty. God is sovereign over chaos. Warren Wearsby comments on this verse and says this, When the tempest is around us, we look by faith to the throne of grace above us and the word of God before us. Now listen to this next sentence. The truth about what is going on in this world is not in the newspapers, but in the scriptures. And that quote's a little dated, is it not? Some of our young people are like, newspaper? What are we talking about there? So let me, let me bring it up to date. The truth about what is going on in this world is not on social media. The truth about what is going on in this world is not on cable news networks. The truth about what is going on in this world is found in the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us that God is in control. Yes, it looks chaotic, but God rules over the wind and the waves. He is majestic in sovereignty. Charles Spurgeon said, There's not a rogue molecule in the universe. God reigns. God rules. And Spurgeon went on to say, I love this quote. He says, the sovereignty of God is a soft pillow I lay my head on at night. I can lay down and rest knowing that God is in control. So listen to me. The next time chaos is getting to you. The the next time it feels like your life is spinning out of control, lift your eyes off of your circumstances and place them on your God who is seated on his throne and who is ruling and reigning perfectly. I want you to understand this. When it's all said and done and the dust of human history settles, we will see the glory and wisdom of God and how He brought history to His desired conclusion. And we will say, Wow! Our God is majestic in sovereignty. There's a third thing I want you to see. We've said that God is majestic in power and God is majestic in sovereignty. But third... God is majestic in character. 
He's majestic in character. Look how this psalm ends in verse 5. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Decrees here speaks of what God decides to do. (laughs) His, His sovereign will. Your decrees are very trustworthy. In other words, what God decides to do is the right thing to do. You can trust Him. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. This verse tells us two important things. It tells us, first of all, that God rules righteously. His decrees are very trustworthy. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner calls this the reign of right. God is in control. God is sovereign. God rules and God reigns. And His reign is driven by what is righteous. He always does the right thing. God rules righteously. You can trust His decrees. You can trust Him because of His character. Not only does God rule righteously, but this verse tells us God is perfectly holy. Holiness befits your house. In other words, holiness is who you are. Holiness is who you are, Lord. You are holy. Now, what does the word holy mean? Well, the word holy has two major meanings in Scripture when related to the Lord. First of all, it speaks of God being other or transcendent. God is is not us. He's not a creature. He's not a part of the created order. He's the creator. He is is outside of the created order. He is other. He is far above and beyond us. He is holy. But this word is also used to speak of God being perfect. God being without blemish or spot. 1 John 1.5 says it like this, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. God is perfect in His character. J. Alec Motcher defines holiness, and this is my favorite definition of holiness. He defines holiness as God's total unique moral majesty. There's that word. His total unique moral majesty. God is blazing, pure light. God is perfect with no blemish. God always stands for the right thing. God always does the right thing. God always says the right thing. God always thinks the right thing. God is Holy. Now, I, I want you to just, just tune in just for a moment. Just give me your undivided attention just for a moment. Because I want to say something very, very important. Never was the holiness of God on display in a greater way than at the cross. You see, because God is perfectly holy, when that holiness is offended, that offense 
calls for punishment or justice. Habakkuk says God is so pure, he cannot even look upon evil. Now that's a problem because I've done some evil stuff. How about you? Am I the only one in here who's ever sinned? We've all rebelled against a perfectly holy God. We all deserve God's justice against our sin. Our sin demands His wrath. But God loves us so much that He sent His only Son. We're going to celebrate Jesus coming to this earth over the Christmas season. We're going to celebrate Christmas. That's the title of my sermon series, not Christmas Blessings. I got that wrong. Celebrate, we're going to celebrate Christmas. And we're going to celebrate the fact that God sent His Son. That Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, left heaven, came to earth, took on humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of Mary, fully God, fully man. And Jesus Christ went to the cross. You know why? To satisfy the justice of God. Because God is holy, sin must be punished. If God did not punish sin, he would no longer be holy. And God made a way for your sin to be punished. And you to be saved. So how can a holy God punish my sin... And save me? The answer is the cross. The cross is the demonstration of God's holy character. Jesus took our place. He took our sin upon himself. And a holy God poured out his wrath and fury on his son who took our punishment for us. If you ever wonder how holy God is, look to the cross. He poured out his punishment on his son so that his holiness could be satisfied. Justice be, could be carried out. Our sins atoned for and thus we could be forgiven of our sin if we will but place our faith and trust in Christ and his finished work. Never was His holiness on greater display than at the cross. And so I love how this psalm ends. God is majestic. He's majestic in power. He's majestic in sovereignty. But don't forget, the psalmist says, He's good. He's good. You see, we're God all-powerful and absolutely sovereign. Without being fundamentally good, we would all be in trouble. Look at the the pantheon of Greek and Roman gods. If you study the background of, of, of that system of pagan religion, prominent in the first century when Jesus walked upon this earth, you'll see that the people lived in terror of their concept of their gods. Because their gods were powerful, but they weren't good. They were selfish and belligerent. And capricious, they would change on a whim. And so those that worship these Greek and Roman gods never could come to a place of peace in their life because they were always scared their God was going to change or turn on them. They knew about 
or they believed in the power of their gods, they could not rest in the character of their gods. Same thing with world religions. I've been all over this world. I've been in pagan temples watching people worship. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to appease their gods because they're just not sure. They're just not sure if their god is going to save them or help them or bless them. They believe in a concept of God or gods. But they cannot rest in the character of their gods. The Bible paints a very different picture. Not only is our God strong and powerful and sovereign and wise, He is good. We can trust Him. He's majestic in character. One of the greatest passages in the Bible that speaks of God's character is found over in Isaiah chapter 6. We repeated some of the words in that chapter in our singing this morning. We cried out, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. But in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah receives a vision of the exalted Lord on his throne. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, when a king died in ancient history, it was a time of of chaos and uncertainty. Who was going to be the next king? Uzziah had a long reign. And people were understandably concerned about what would happen to their nation after his death. And the Lord appears to Isaiah on his throne as if to say, Isaiah, you don't have to worry. I'm on the throne. I'm in control. And Isaiah sees this exalted vision of the Lord. The train of his robe fills the temple. It's shaking and quaking in the holy presence of God. And and there there are angels flying around the throne constantly saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The the whole earth is full of His glory. Isaiah sees the Lord on His throne in splendor and majesty and perfection. Pure, blazing light. And Isaiah doesn't say, hey, look, it's the man upstairs. No, Isaiah is not casual in his approach to the exalted, holy Lord. In fact, in the presence of this vision, Isaiah says, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. In other words, in the presence of of perfect holiness, Isaiah sees his sin. You ever thought that you were dressed for success, looking nice? 
and you get into certain lighting, and it shows you there's a blemish on your shirt. The light points out the blemish. That's what happened to Isaiah. It pointed out his moral failure, his sin against a holy God. And he says, woe is me. But then God symbolically reminds Isaiah that he's about atonement. That God makes atonement for our sins. Pointing to the, the cross, Jesus dying for our sins. He, 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 he has an angel take a, a burning coal from the altar with tongs. It's so hot you couldn't touch it. And, and, and the, the burning coal is used to touch Isaiah's lips. This was a symbolic way for the Lord to say, just like fire purifies, I'm making a way for you to be purified at the point of your need. Hey, Isaiah, you spoke of your unclean lips. I'm going to cleanse your lips. I'm going to make atonement. This all pointed to the finished work of Christ on the cross. So here's Isaiah. He's in the presence of a holy God. And he says, woe is me, I'm undone. And then God reminds him there's purification, there's atonement, there's salvation available because I am gracious. And then Isaiah says, Lord, you need someone to serve you, to go for you, to tell others about you, to, to proclaim your message. Here am I. Send me. Isaiah was transformed in the presence of a holy God as he was reminded that God is majestic in character. So, the Lord is majestic in power. He's majestic in sovereignty. He's majestic in character. And here's the closing thought. Here's what I want you to, to walk away with. The majesty of God invites trust and demands worship. In other words, if, if your trust in God is feeble and your worship is flabby, <laughs> you need to fix your eyes upon the Lord. And be reminded of his majesty. It invites trust and demands worship. You say, Pastor Way, what if I choose to just ignore him? What if I choose just to do my own thing, go my own way in life? And not recognize his greatness and his majesty and his holiness? What if I just want to just ignore the Lord? A lot of people are making that decision in our world. The Bible says there's coming a day when you will not ignore him. In fact, Philippians 2 says that there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's an old song that says, One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow, but still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. Our God is majestic. And so the question that I want to close with is this. Is your God too small?
Is your God too small? Are you having great thoughts of a great God? Do you trust Him with the tumult of this world and the the chaos even in your life? Do you place it in His hands? And oh, do you worship Him in spirit and in truth, crying out, With an unashamed voice. God you are majesty. You are glorious. Or let me ask you like this. When's the last time. Thoughts of God. Cause you to be speechless. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.